0: It was a Sunday evening in 2006. I was sitting at home with my family, and uh, at the time, that was just my wife and my first daughter, Elizabeth, and uh, we were eating dinner, and my phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was one of our other associate pastors at the church, Brad, and I picked it up. I said, hey, Brad, how are you? And Brad said, I'm great. How are you doing, Matt? And I said, good. He goes, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm eating dinner with my family. And he goes, oh, that's great. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I am at the Sunday evening service right now talking to a couple of people who are expecting you to be here to baptize them in about five minutes. And I said, oh, no. What had happened was I had interviewed them. I had uh, even put it on my calendar. But by the time I got home on Sunday afternoon from preaching, I completely forgot that I had committed to return for that Sunday evening service and baptize them. So I apologized. I said, you know what? I can be there in five minutes. Just give me a couple of minutes. He goes, don't worry about it. By the time you get here, it'll probably be too late. I'll baptize them instead. Uh, That was a low point for me in terms of a problem that I had struggled with my whole life, that I still struggle with, which is remembering things on my calendar and getting control of my schedule. That was a low point. Uh, The lowest point, though, came about three months later that same year on another Sunday evening when I was sitting at home and my phone rang again. And it was Brad again. I don't know why he was always the one that was there when this happened. And once again, I had forgotten to show up for some people that I had committed to baptize. I was humiliated. I was ashamed. I thought they're going to fire me. Now, like it's over, I'd been on staff for just a couple of years, I was in my 20s, I was so embarrassed, but then I thought, you know, okay, what do I need to do here to try to make this right? There's no way to undo the damage that I did by my failure to honor my commitment, by my failure to remember. Even though it was unintentional, I had hurt some people, I had let some people down, I had put some people in a tough spot. It wasn't intentional, but it was still wrong, and so what did I do? Well, I wrote An apology letter via email to Brad, to another pastor who was involved, to the people that I had uh, failed to show up for. And then secondly, not only did I acknowledge my wrong, not only did I apologize and ask forgiveness, I also said, I've got to find a better system moving forward to remember things on my schedule. So I worked with uh, an administrative assistant, figured out how to get the right reminders in place, the right systems in place. But as I think back on that incident in my life, here's what I think. I was at a moment where, again, intentionally or not, I had fallen short of some responsibilities. I had failed to honor some commitments I made to some other people. So what do we do in those moments? Maybe you've been in a moment like that. In fact, I would venture to say everybody in this room has been in a moment like that sometime, either with your spouse or your kids or your parents or at work, where you had, uh, you had some sort of relational or moral or personal responsibility, and you let the person down. What do you do? What do you do? Well, you acknowledge the wrong. You ask forgiveness from the one you've offended. And then you say, how can I move forward and not do this again? Every single one of us has these moments where we fall short, intentionally or unintentionally. This happens in our relationships with other people. It also happens in our relationship with God. In fact, every time I fail to meet my obligations toward another person, every time I fall short toward another person, the scripture says I also have sinned against God, right? Sin is simply this. I fail to fall short, of the standards of God's righteousness and holiness in some way. Now, that might be intentional. I might do that with a high hand. I might decide to disobey God. I I willfully look at something I shouldn't look at, say something that I shouldn't say that hurts somebody, think something that is wrong, or act on something that that is deliberately sinful, right? Sin can be willful. I think we all know that. If I steal your wallet, that's a willful sin. But sin can also be unintentional. That is, I simply fall short of my responsibilities to other people and to God because of some moral deficiency or personal deficiency in me. So it may be that I have a responsibility to care about and engage with and love my family well, and in some way I fall short. Not because I'm trying to fall short, but because I'm not proactively trying to do better, right? So when we sin against other people and against God, what do we do? Well, we acknowledge the wrongdoing, confess the wrongdoing, and seek to do better the next time by the power of God's Spirit. We're gonna talk about that this morning as we finish uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 to 15. And what we're gonna talk about this morning is how Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer By by discussing this issue of sin, of transgression, of falling short of God's holiness. Because Jesus knew, as we should know as well, that the greatest barrier between us and a close relationship with God is sin. The greatest barrier between us and God is our own sin, our own willful or unintentional failure to live up to the standards of righteousness of God. That creates a rift between us and God. That rift, of course, had to be dealt with first and foremost by Jesus Christ at the cross. That's what we just sang about. Jesus died for my sin, for your sin, for everybody's sin in the world, and then he rose from the dead so that all who believe in him can know that when it comes to eternal life, the, the slate is clean. When it comes to eternal life, I don't have to worry about the eternal consequences of my sin. I don't have to pay for it if I have believed in Jesus. Because Jesus paid for it. However, what we're going to see in the Lord's Prayer is that even for the people of God, for Christians, because remember, the Lord's Prayer is instructions for Jesus' followers. He's talking to his disciples how to pray. Even for those who know Jesus Christ, sin is still a problem. It's a problem for you. It's a problem for me on a day-to-day basis. James chapter 3 says we all stumble. In many ways. Remember that? And he goes on and he says, if somebody doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man or a perfect woman, able to control their entire body. We all stumble in many ways. Every single day, you and I think things, say things, do things, or fail to think things, say things, or do things that we ought to do. And as a result, we fall short of God's holiness. Now, if you know Jesus, you don't need to worry that you'll lose your salvation. But what we're going to see is that what sin can do in our lives for those who know Jesus is it can create distance between us and God. Because when I am sinning and refusing to acknowledge it, refusing to recognize it, refusing to confess it and turn away from it, I'm actually stepping away from God. I'm saying, God... I want to do my way and not your way. I want to walk in my conception of what is right, not in your conception of what is right. And so I'm stepping away from the fellowship and closeness that I ought to have with God. We've also seen as we've moved through the Lord's Prayer that a failure to acknowledge and confess my sin and turn from it can also be a reason why my prayers are not answered in the way that I would hope. Because God might discipline me to draw me back to himself. So God might say, I'm going to allow you to experience some natural consequences and some spiritual consequences as you feel distant from me, internally guilty, internally you're in turmoil. And as you pray, those prayers are not answered as you would want. And so there's distance and there's pain in your life because of your sin. And so if you remember, throughout the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has made sure that we understand. He is more concerned that we cultivate a close relationship with God than that we get our requests fulfilled, right? Relationship comes before requests. Knowing God comes before asking God of things. And so he began by saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So as I pray, I want to align my heart with God's will, God's character, and say, God, everything I want to do and be and think, I want it aligned with who you are, your character, your perfect holiness, your righteousness, and that will frame my request. So now the things I ask for from God are rooted in his righteousness, his holiness, his will, rather than my selfishness. But then as we close the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is gonna say the other aspect of prayer is, as I pray and seek to cultivate a relationship with God, I might be sabotaging the closeness with God that he wants me to have because I'm in sin. So the question we're gonna answer this morning is how do we address that problem as we seek to grow closer to God? Some of you in this room right now, you know that you have a sin problem in your walk with God that needs to be addressed. You know Jesus, you have eternal security, you know you're going to heaven, you're not worried about eternal life, but there is a sin problem in your life that is preventing you from experiencing God and knowing God and walking with God and communing with God like you want to. And maybe it is a sin of personal integrity, for example. You you have a pattern of, of cheating at school, you have a pattern of stealing at the office, maybe in just small ways. Maybe it is a, a pattern of sexual integrity, where you look at things you shouldn't look at. Or use your body in ways that dishonor God, and you're hiding this sin in a dark corner, thinking, as long as I hide, see, is it is doing damage. Maybe it is a sin of greed or envy or pride or whatever it may be that you are holding on to and refusing to deal with. And Jesus, as we close this section on prayer, he's gonna ask us this question. How do we address the problem of sin as we seek to grow closer to God? Because if we do not address it on a regular basis before God, it will wreak havoc on our fellowship with God. How do we address it? two principles this morning. How do we address this problem of sin to grow closer to God again? First of all, we ask for God's forgiveness. Look at verse 12. Jesus tells us to pray, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So this word debts is an interesting word. Uh, This is the only place in the New Testament that is used to refer to sin. The word is used one other place in Romans chapter four to refer to um, something that you owe somebody else, right? The way we think about debt. So if you buy a car, you borrow money to buy the car. That's a debt. Uh, You buy a house, you borrow money to buy the house. That's a debt. It is something that I owe to another person. Here, Jesus refers to sins as debts. Now, why is that? Um, We cannot pay back the overwhelming debt of sin that would land us in hell, of course, apart from uh, the intervention of Jesus Christ. So he's not saying that I've gotta earn my salvation before God and God please forgive me and allow me to get back on track earning my salvation. That's not what he's getting at. What he is saying here, what is a debt? Well again, if I fail to meet my relational responsibilities toward you, that is a debt. I did something in the past, so think about it. If you're a parent, your child is always your child. But let's imagine that you've got an arrangement with that child that they will take out the trash every Friday and every Monday. They fail to do it. They, in the moment, refuse to do it. And then that moment passes, and they're still your child. But now there's a disconnect there. There's strain there. There's a problem there because the child is rebelling against your authority. Right? Well, that constitutes an obligation, a debt that was not paid. It's in the past. You can't go back and fix it, and pay for it. It's already happened. Every time I fall short of God's standards, I need to come back to God and say, God, please forgive me. Reset and clean the slate. Not so that I can re-earn my eternal life. You're not losing your salvation and getting it back, but instead, because God, I say, I want to draw close to you again. If I am under the discipline of the Spirit, God, I ask that you would draw me close again and allow me to connect with you. God, if I'm walking away, I wanna walk close to you again. Forgiveness means, forgive us our debts means, God please release the debt, let it go. No longer allow yesterday to be something that comes between you and me. Forgiveness is not excuse, forgiveness is release. God let it go and so Jesus says on a regular basis, we come before God and we say forgive me God for those times, 10 years ago, a year ago, a month ago, yesterday, an hour ago, 15 minutes ago, that I failed to meet my moral, spiritual, relational obligations to you. Maybe it was something I thought, looked at, said, did. God, I want to ask your forgiveness. Now, this implies, of course, when I ask forgiveness, that I'm willing to acknowledge that I've actually done something wrong. I have to bring my sin into the light, which means I constantly, as a follower of Jesus Christ, have to be coming before him, examining my heart and saying, God, reveal to me those areas of my life that are not meeting your standards by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the problem is a lot of us want to keep that stuff in the dark. Again, some of you in this room, I'm certain you've got some dark corner of your life that you're hiding. You're hiding it from God, you think, and you're hiding it from other people, and you don't want to touch it. You don't want to deal with it. You don't want to bring it into the light, but confession means I bring it into the light and I agree with God's perspective that his way is right and not my way. In fact, the Greek word for confession, to confess your sin, homologeo, it literally means to say the same thing, to agree with God's perspective, that I say my way is wrong, God, and your way is is right. And I acknowledge that. So please forgive me for walking in my way. But that requires us to shine a light on things we'd rather keep in the dark. First John chapter 1 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, that is that we're close to God, that we're walking with God closely, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, washes us clean from all sin. How can the blood of Jesus wash us clean on an ongoing basis? Well, he washed us clean once for all, when we trusted in Jesus Christ. And because of that, when you sin, God stays in the same place. You're the one that walks away. You're the one that moves. And so now I turn around and I say, God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm asking for you to forgive me, restore our relationship. But we have to bring it into the light. Uh, When I was in college, like a junior in college, I moved into a house here in town with several other roommates. And uh, I'll just say this, the house was filthy. It was dirty. It was dirty when I moved in. It was even dirtier when I moved out. I was so glad to leave. This place was gross. And the reason it was gross, frankly, was it was our fault. Uh, We were a bunch of college guys that did not understand or practice basic principles of cleaning, like vacuuming the floor, sweeping the floor, wiping the counters, cleaning the bathrooms. And so this place just got filthier and filthier and filthier. And as it got dirtier, at some point, the critters moved in. The rodents began to move in to the house. I'm being very transparent here today, making me a little uncomfortable, but but this is real. So so these rodents uh, moved in. Right, so this place was just it was becoming unlivable and it was embarrassing to have people over. We didn't want anybody to see it. And so we we had some strategies when people would come over. One thing we'd do is we'd kind of try to make the the common areas look okay. We'd pick stuff up, kind of quickly sweep it. But another strategy was we would we would reserve certain areas of the house that we would just say to people, This is forbidden. It's off limits. So if you say, look, I've really got to go to the bathroom. We're like, I'm sorry, there's a convenience store, uh, a convenience store on, the, on the corner. You can go down there. You may not go in here because we have this area that is so bad, so filthy. We have, we have hidden it off. You cannot go in there. The other thing that we did, honestly, was we just kept the lights low. Because if the lights were low and somebody comes in, they can't see the dirt, right? Now, what's the problem with this strategy? It doesn't fix the dirt. It doesn't fix the filth. It doesn't expel the rodents. In fact, the darker it is, the worse it gets because we can't see how bad it is and we keep contributing to the problem and more creatures, especially rodents, they love the dark and so they move in. And so there was finally a day, I walked into the kitchen one day and I turned on the light and I said, enough, I got to clean this thing. So I went to Walmart and I bought $45, $50 worth of cleaning supplies, products I had never seen or interacted with before in my life. And I got down on my hands and knees and I scrubbed the floor and I scrubbed the counters and I I mopped and I cleaned up the dishes and I got that place as clean as it could possibly be. It was a rough job. It was a dirty job. It was disgusting because I had to come face to face with this filth that we had created. But when I was done, it looked new. It looked livable. John says a lot of us, we're walking in the darkness. We're hiding the filth. And we think as long as nobody else around me sees it, I can hide it over here. Maybe God won't even notice it. I'll keep the lights low. I won't examine my heart. I won't come before him and let him shine his light. And what John says is you're lying to yourself. Every sin gets worse in the dark. It grows and it multiplies and it creates further distance between me and God and between me and others, even if you think it is not. And so John says, if you're saying you have fellowship and you're walking in the darkness, you're lying. What's the solution? You bring it into the light. Here's the deal. It's already in the light, by the way. When you and I confess We're not confessing for God's benefit so God knows what's going on. There's never been a moment you have brought a sin to God that he's heard you and gone, you did what? He already knows. And so John says you might as well walk into the light of God's presence. Agree with God that what you're doing is wrong, that you need his forgiveness, and you confess. Right, and here's the really good news. 1 John 1, 8 through 10 If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, we say, you know what? I'm good. I don't need confession. I'm fine. The way I'm living, you are calling God a liar. And his word is not in you. You're saying, I refuse to agree with God's perspective. But if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess it to God. And then quite often, that is gonna lead to confession to other people. Because if I've sinned against God, there's a good chance I sinned against somebody else as well. That's why James says, confess your sins one to another. And so I shine a light. And that may be scary. And it may, it may risk your reputation, it may risk your job, it may risk your grade. But you say, I value my relationship with God more than I value the comfort of sitting in the dark. And so you come forward and confess. And then Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, what is the connection between me asking God for forgiveness and forgiving somebody who asks me for forgiveness? Well, verses 14 to 15, Jesus says, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, that's pretty pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, it's important to remember this is all in the context of an ongoing relationship with God. I have to remind us, again, Jesus isn't saying you've got to earn eternal life by forgiving other people. That would be contradictory to so much of the scripture. He's not saying if somebody wrongs you and you don't forgive, that you'll lose your salvation and go to hell. Here's what he is saying. When I fail to remember and recognize how much God has forgiven me through Jesus Christ, what that demonstrates in my heart is that I don't understand grace, that I have not really absorbed, at least in that moment, all that God has done to forgive me. And so, so, God forgives me of of an infinite number of sins, it seems. And then you say something, do something, fail me in some way. And I go, no, no. I draw the line here. I will not forgive. You you have to be punished, and I'm the one that's going to punish you. What have I done? I've just demonstrated. I don't actually understand the depth of the grace of God. So Jesus here says, what happens? You refuse to forgive you're still gonna be far from God. You're still gonna experience God's discipline in your life. You're still gonna experience the pain that comes not only from that broken relationship, but also a strained relationship between you and God when you and I refuse to forgive. And let me be clear. Forgiveness does not mean, again, it's not excuse. It isn't saying, oh, you know what, it's it's okay. You hurt me deeply with what you said, with what you did. It's okay. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. That's not what forgiveness is. It is not excuse. It is release. That I say I'm no longer going to lie awake at night fantasizing and daydreaming about how I will take revenge. I'm no longer going to subtly try to hurt that other person just like they hurt me. Forgiveness might or might not lead to reconciliation, by the way, because reconciliation requires both parties in order to restore the relationship to what it was. But the idea is, as far as it depends upon me, I'm gonna seek peace. I'm going to forgive. I'm gonna let it go and trust that person to the judgment of God. And release them as well to the mercy and grace of God, just as God was merciful and gracious to me. So because we're forgiven that calls us and obligates us to forgive. So Jesus says, "Forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors." Ephesians chapter 4, 31 to 32. "Let all bitterness, all all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also" has forgiven you. As I'm forgiven, God, help me forgive. So in order to deal with this barrier of sin, first I say, God, forgive me by the power of your grace. I confess I was wrong. I ask your forgiveness, and then help me to extend your grace because I want to draw near again rather than walking away. So I ask for God's forgiveness openly, honestly, truthfully, I bring it into the light before God and maybe before another person. And then we ask for God's protection. We ask for God's protection moving forward. Verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this is almost certainly, by the way, where Jesus ends the Lord's Prayer. I realize some of us have versions that have uh, another sentence, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Uh, many of us learned that. We recited it growing up. Uh, the reason it's, in no, it's in, uh, not in a lot of modern versions is because it probably was not in the original Greek text of the New Testament. But it was something that was, that was added later as a benediction, as a closing to the Lord's Prayer. It's fine to say, no problem with saying it, but it probably wasn't where Jesus ended the Lord's Prayer. He ended it with this. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now that, that should strike you as a little odd, probably, when you read that. Do not lead us into temptation. If you remember, when we were in the book of James, James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. So when Jesus says, don't lead us into temptation, he's not saying that God will tempt you and you've got to come and be like, God, don't try to tempt me to do bad things. No. No. God is not up in heaven being like, how can I get him today, right? It's not what he does. He cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt anyone. But Matthew chapter 4, just two chapters before the Lord's prayer, look at this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, isn't that interesting? God doesn't tempt, but God led Jesus into the wilderness through the Spirit to be tempted By the devil. What is going on? Why does he lead him? Well, God isn't the one that's tempting. Remember, the devil tempted Jesus. But God led him there. Why? In Jesus' case, to vindicate him. To demonstrate that Jesus would be victorious. To demonstrate that Jesus is the perfect son of God. God leads him into this moment because he knows that for Jesus, this moment will lead to victory rather than failure. For us, often these moments lead to failure. And yet at times, God might allow or even direct our lives into places where we are tested, where we are tried to teach us to walk with him more closely, right? But as that happens, Jesus says, it's a legitimate prayer, just as Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me if you're willing. It's a legitimate prayer to say, God, uh, all things being equal, I'd rather not walk into those moments at all. I'd rather not find myself scrolling Facebook late at night because that evokes my envy and my bitterness. God, all things being equal, I'd rather not walk into tempting situations, so deliver me, rescue me from them uh, because, because I don't want to fail, to fall short. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Here's what I think Jesus would say. We pray, God, don't lead me into temptation, but if if I find myself there, deliver me from evil because the testimony of the scripture is this, that there's never a situation in which you and I find ourselves where sin is the only option. Because God will always provide a way of escape. Let me, let me uh, illustrate it this way. This past week, some of our staff went to a conference up in Dallas. And if you've ever been to a, a big conference, you know sometimes they feed you a lot Right? So you're eating just constantly big meals and all of these things. And so as the week went on, I'm like, man, uh, I just am, I'm just feeling very full and heavy. And, and I, need to, I need to take it down a little bit, eat a little bit less. The next meal I need to eat something lighter. So we went through the line on like the second or third day. And the meal happened to be lighter. It was like salads and sandwiches and stuff. I'm like, all right, this is so great. I'm going to do right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat better. You know, I don't want to be super sluggish on Sunday when I'm preaching. Like, I, I want to do, do better. I'm going to eat well. So I go through the line. I get a light lunch. Right as I get to the end of the line, I look up, and there's a long row of tables with giant buckets filled with large, fresh chocolate chip cookies. All right, so... Now, let me say this. I I can say no to ice cream. I can say no to cake. Most sugary treats are not that much of a temptation for me. I have never turned down a fresh chocolate chip cookie in my life, including last week when I walked over and I got two of them. Now, as I grabbed them and as I ate them, I didn't look to the sky and go, God, why did you do this to me? Because I had a choice, didn't I? I could have turned left. I could have turned right. I could have not eaten them. I had a choice in that moment. Eating it wasn't the only option. There's never a moment where sin is the only option. And so Jesus says, what I want you to do day in and day out is you wake up in the morning and you say, God, lead me not into temptation if I can avoid it. But if I'm there, deliver me from evil or literally from the evil one. Deliver me from the schemes, the wiles of Satan. God, provide a way out and let me see the way out. Always that way out will involve drawing closer to God to know his word so I know what is right and wrong but also so I know the resources I have through the power of the spirit to avoid sin and turn back toward God. That way out will involve prayer. God, I desperately pray Help me avoid temptation and do what is right. That way out often will involve uh, the counsel and the prayers of other people. It may be there is a pattern of sin in your life that you just cannot seem to overcome. And you've prayed and you've read the scripture and you've done all you can do. And it may be you need uh, today or tomorrow or this week to go to a friend who knows the Lord and say, I need help. I need prayer. The community of faith can offer that, that way of escape. It may be that that way of escape is simply setting different patterns and habits in your life, much like I had to do with my schedule years ago, that I need to, to have a different way of approaching my life to avoid this temptation. There's an old story uh, by the late J. Vernon McGee, a great Bible teacher, and he, he tells this story about a mom of a young boy who one day was walking through the house, and all of a sudden she heard a commotion in the pantry. And so she walked over to the pantry, and there was her young son. And and the commotion had been that he had climbed up to the highest shelf. He had gotten the cookie jar and kind of balanced it, and he had set it on the lowest shelf. And there he was when she walked in, standing in front of the cookie jar that he knew he was not supposed to mess with. And she said, son, what are you doing right now with the cookie jar? And he said, mom, I'm fighting temptation. That's the way some of us approach sin in our lives. We walk right into it. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the last seven times I got on Facebook at three in the morning, I felt envious and and bitter and angry and discontent with my life, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to leave my phone by the bed so when I wake up anxious and stressed, I can just grab it and plunge right into it again. I'm fighting temptation. God, it's always a bad thing for me late at night when I have the phone or the computer next to my bed and all of a sudden in those moments of angst, I open it up and I look at what I ought not look at. God, God, I allow myself to dwell on over and over and over again what somebody else did that made me angry and hurt. And I lie awake and I, I write it down and I talk about it with other people. I just open my mouth. And God, there's a friend that every time I'm around that person, they just, they just it leads to gossip and unkindness. But I really, I really like that person a lot and I want to spend even more time with them. But I can fight temptation. Right, and it may be the way of escape is to set new patterns. Prayer, the word, the community of faith, setting new patterns. The question is, how desperately do we want to be close to God? How much does it matter that we have a relationship with him, where we know him deeply, we walk with him closely, our prayers are heard and answered, our lives have an impact for his kingdom on other people? Do we want that and love that more than we love the darkness of our sin? What do we want? So Jesus says this, to deal with this barrier in our lives, we ask for God's forgiveness. We say, God, I agree with you. I sinned in this specific way. I confess it. I ask forgiveness. And God, I ask for your protection in the future. I want to repent of it, to turn away from it and turn back toward you. Forgiveness and protection. What we long for and want, because we're made for it, is to know God deeply. Jesus says, this is is the path. That as we fail, and we will, we say, God, shine your light on my heart. Shine your light on my life. Give me the humility to agree and the grace and strength to respond well. So here's what I wanna do as we close, just for a few minutes. I'm gonna put a few questions to reflect on up on the screen. I want us to spend a few moments, each of us reflecting on these questions before the Lord. And then I'll close in a moment. Is there something you need to confess to God or to somebody else or both? Is there some pattern of sin in your life that you say, I know it's wrong, and I've been hiding it from God and from the people it affects. Is there someone you need to forgive? Some transgression or slight you're holding on to? Is there a sin pattern you need to change to set new patterns? Say, God, I'm not going to walk up that aisle at the grocery store I'm not going to have that phone or device here anymore. I'm going to have some accountability in this area of my life because I want you to deliver me, protect me, help me honor you. Is there something you need to confess, someone you need to forgive, a pattern you need to change? Take just a couple of minutes to reflect, and I'll close this in a moment. Father, in heaven, your grace is infinite and perfect. Father, we acknowledge that we do stumble in many ways every day in what we do, in what we don't do, and say and think. Father, I know that there are men and women in this room who know that they're hiding in the dark. So I pray for courage to walk into the light, to bring before you the sins and the debts that we've incurred relationally before you and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, it's scary. It requires courage. But we know it's also the path to freedom and life with you again. Father, I pray for courage for those who know right now, they, they sense they need to talk to a friend or a family member, and confess. Father, I pray for those who are holding on to unforgiveness. Give them the strength to let it go. Give all of us the strength, Father, to develop patterns and habits in our lives that honor you rather than dishonor you, because we know we're made to honor and glorify you. Father, let your name be hallowed in our lives. Let your kingdom be demonstrated with what we do, say, where we go, what we think, how we love others, and cling to the truth. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.